welcome to the first day of February 2021, and thanks for listening to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, I want to tell you about two new studies in science. The first challenges the assumptions that many people may have about differences or lack of differences in people with autism with known genetic variation. The other explores the role of a very specific type of maternal autoantibody to fetal brain tissue linked to autism. Now, both are narrowing down from original general concepts to more specific genes, analyses, or molecules. The first, I'm very comfortable providing a very high-level overview of because I snagged the first author, Dr. Samuel Chawner from Cardiff University in the UK, to explain the findings on a webinar where you guys can ask questions about the data and what it means. The webinar will be on February 19th at 1 p.m. EST, and ASF is going to publicize it widely. So if you have a question, bring it. The paper is titled, quote, A Genetics First Approach to Dissecting the Heterogeneity of Autism, colon, Phenotypic Comparison of Autism Risk Copy Number Variants. The goal of the paper is to better understand autism in people with a known genetic cause or variant compared to those who have autism but have no defined genetic cause. They aim to characterize and contrast the phenotypes of people with different autism genetic variants in terms of if they had autism and how often, if they did, what was their severity, what was their domain profile, where did they have strengths and weaknesses, and also intellectual quotient and cognitive ability to investigate whether copy number variants in autistics with autism differ in phenotype from those with no established or no known genetic variant. Now they did this by combining data across multiple sources. First was the Autism Genome Project, which is an international study of tens of thousands of people with autism worldwide. That's how they collected most of the ASD families. But for those with rare genetic copy number variants, they relied on different clinics and medical hospitals to first identify people with the variants so that they can then assess autism symptoms. So they could ascertain ASD prevalence in each of the groups without starting with a group that already had ASD. I hope that makes sense. That's why it's called a genetics first approach. With the CNV groups, they obtained the genetics first and then assessed the ASD traits later. The autism group was a comparison group. Now, again, everyone had ASD, just not a copy number variation. Now, since there are hundreds of these variants, which copy number variants are the ones that this study was looking at? Well, first, it was a deletion of genes on chromosome 16, arm P, area 11.2. The other was a duplication of genes on chromosome 16, arm P, area 11.2. Then there was deletions of genes on chromosome 22, arm Q, 11.2. This one is actually called DeGeorge syndrome. And finally, a duplication of genes on chromosome 22, area 11.1. So these copy number variants are actually copies or deletions of multiple genes on the same area of the chromosome. So they can target up to 40 different genes. They're variants on areas of the chromosome, grouping genes together. Everybody got an autism assessment, including the 2,000 autistics who didn't have a known genetic mutation. 
they also all got IQ testing. They compared the scores both within each group, how different they say are people with DeGeorge syndrome to each other, what percent had ASD, and also how different were their scores across the different genetic groups and also to those with autism. So how did those with deletions on chromosome 16 fare compared to those with duplications of genes on chromosome 16? And then how did those two fare compared to those with autism with no known genetic cause? First, the risk of autism differed by genetic variant group. Remember, in the idiopathic autism, it was 100%. In terms of autism prevalence, fewer of the 22Q deletion carriers met the criteria for autism compared to the 22Q duplication carriers by about half. 23% of the deletion group had an autism diagnosis, while 44% of the duplication group had a autism diagnosis. That in itself is interesting. People with the deletion have an autism diagnosis less often than the duplication. Then came the 16P deletion people with about 43% autism diagnosis and 16P variation carriers with about 58% autism diagnosis. Now, even without an autism diagnosis, Those with the CNVs showed autism traits at a high level. In fact, 54% of them showed some sort of autism-like impairment without an actual diagnosis. And that made it very difficult to say whether or not these types of autism were specifically different than those without a known variant. IQ scores in those with CNVs were definitely lower than the idiopathic autism group, and a lot of the autistic traits were higher. So if you look at a graph where the idiopathic autism was like a baseline, it was like the straight line by which all other groups were compared, and then they plotted the different CNVs against that line, IQ was lower, but autistic traits were higher. This included autism severity and symptom domain profile, and that includes things like repetitive behaviors or social interaction, And there was a lot of differences there, but there was more difference between each person with a specific copy number variation. In other words, not everyone with a 22Q deletion looked the same. In fact, they looked very different depending on which feature you were looking at. Maybe they scored very well on social interaction, but exhibited a lot of repetitive behaviors. These results highlight the fact that even In individuals with the same genetic variant, the autism profile is difficult to predict on the basis of just CNV alone. Phenotypic profiles overlap, providing evidence against what is known as a specific model, where a particular gene variant predicts a specific phenotype. On the other hand, it suggests more of an overlapping model, where autism profiles are, yes, distinct in some ways. After all, IQ was lower and autism features were more profound, but they, in fact, do overlap with each other and with idiopathic autism. Well, what does this mean? First, this may not apply to all genetically defined autisms. They looked at four. There's about 50 to 60 more of them, and they were different, and it's hard to deny that they may not show full-blown autism, because they showed autistic traits. 
They also had lower IQ, which may be confounding the performance on the autism measures a little. This is part of a bigger debate that I would love to have with everyone on February 19th. However, this study does open up the possibilities of utilizing individuals with established genetic variation to better target therapeutics that can help a wider range of people with ASD. Now, Dr. Chawner is going to be so much more elegant and eloquent than I am on this podcast, and I hope you can listen in. We'll also record the presentation and share it. I want to thank Dr. Chawner ahead of time, who is giving up his dinner time in the UK to talk to us. A Zoom link and an invitation to the webinar will be circulated on the ASF webpage and the agenda website very soon. Also, one big caveat of this study is the role of the environment in both those with the idiopathic autism as well as genetic variant types of ASD. This is important, and drilling down what those environmental factors are is going to make it easier to plug exposures into these large analyses to determine gene-environment interactions. Now, while the next study is not a large study and it doesn't look at G by E, it does represent progress in an environmental theory of ASD. It's called the Maternal Autoantibody-Related Autism. And you may have heard of it either this week when the recent study was released or previously because it's been a wide area of research for almost a decade. The overall idea is that the mother produces an antibody to fetal brain cells, obviously their own fetus, that targets developing brain cells early in gestation, which then leads to an autism diagnosis. They've identified eight of these autoantibodies, and previous studies showed that presence of these antibodies led to a 24% chance of having a child with ASD, compared to, of course, 1% in mothers that didn't have these autoantibodies. I will say that other researchers around the world that have been studying this theory had put the number of more like 8% rather than 24%. So there's some variability here, but even 8% is a substantial increase over what you would expect. So what are these autoantibodies? They used to just be defined by their molecular weight, but now we know actually the names of the antibodies themselves. So I'm gonna describe them. There's not a quiz, but I just wanna tell you what I'm talking about. They are something called collapsin response mediator proteins 1 and 2, or CRMP1 and CRMP2, guanine deaminase, or GDA, lactate dehydrogenase A and B, LDHAA and LDHB, stress-induced phosphorylation protein 1, or STIP1, Y-box binding protein 1, or Y-box, and neuron-specific NLAST, or NSE. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a pretty controversial theory. In animal models, though, the offspring of moms that were exposed to these autoantibodies have some weak behavioral features of ASD. They also have changes in the shape of the dendrites in the offspring. There's been multiple studies across the world that have shown these findings. The antibodies are found exclusively in mothers with ASD so far, but the link between autoantibodies and ASD in children needs further study. The main problem with the epidemiology in this 23, 24, 8% is that 
the presence of the autoantibodies were made or tested after their child was born, sometimes four years after their child was born. It might be that they have these antibodies before they have a next child, or they may not have any more children, but the presence of the antibodies was not obtained during pregnancy. Also, if a mother has these antibodies and has two children with ASD, it doesn't always determine who has autism, but it might give a little peek, and this comes from Italian data, of which kid may have more severe symptoms based on the antibody found in the child, if there is an antibody found in the child. This line of research may lead to an interesting subgroup of people with ASD, and the authors of the study did start a company called Pediatric Biosciences, which was selling the test for these autoantibodies in mothers. It's my understanding that they're going to be looking at a prospective design using mothers who have a child with autism and are pregnant with their second or third. So you can track the pregnancy and track the pregnancy autoantibodies during that pregnancy, if it were, and then closely track the outcome of the child rather than just looking back at data at different ages in children and antibody markers at different times in the mother. This is going to be incredibly important to better understand the role of these antibodies in an autism diagnosis, and then later, any way these antibodies can prevent going to the fetus to cause a specific immune response that may lead to symptoms like impaired adaptive ability or cognitive disability. But I digress. The researchers are treating this as a subgroup of people with autism, since, of course, not everyone who has this antibody ends up with a child with autism, and plenty of people have autism without a mother who has the antibodies. By the way, where do these antibodies come from? We don't really know, but genetic studies and detailed environmental histories may shed light on it. One study by a group in New York suggests that maternal immune condition like diabetes, arthritis, may play a role. You can stay tuned. But if you have these conditions, don't run out and get a test. This link has really not been validated. Now, the goal of this study was to look at each antibody individually and the behavioral features of children when their mothers had different combinations of the eight antibodies. Now, there were eight antibodies. There were different combinations together, say CRMP1 plus GDA or CRMP2 plus STIP1. In order to do this, they used something called machine learning, which is basically a computer, to identify and evaluate the precision for the patterns of reactivity to the eight autoantigens, and of course, the combination. So out of all the combinations of the different autoantibodies in the mother, they found that nine specifically led to an increase in probability of an autism diagnosis in the child. And that was up to 90%, sometimes 100% specificity of an autism diagnosis. Just to be clear, though, the sample sizes in some of these groups were very small. And of course, they started with groups that had maternal reactivity at all. So this narrowed down the probability of a diagnosis by combining two out of the eight. They already said that one is not enough to lead to an ASD diagnosis, so it has to be two, but which two? That's what this study looked at. The list is in the paper, but if you want the numbers, email me. But don't talk to me. Better yet, talk to your doctor. If you happen to have been tested for these antibodies I mentioned earlier, take a breath and talk to a medical professional. 
Interestingly, the function of these antibody combinations overlap with things like stress response, metabolism, and neurite and axon growth. These maternal autoantibodies sometimes converge with maternal metabolic conditions that also increase the probability of a child with ASD. So it may not be a straight line from an autoantibody in the mom to an autism diagnosis. There's also the environment, sex hormones, and the microbiome to consider. So they didn't really have enough people to really look at specific phenotypes in each of the groups. Did one combination, however, lead to more severe deficits in one area of functioning than the other? Some studies have shown that some of the antibodies are associated with more severe ADOS scores, some with more repetitive behaviors, but there hasn't really been a whole lot of consensus. People born from mothers with these antibodies do seem to have much more enlarged heads at birth, especially in the frontal cortex, compared to babies born from mothers without these autoantibodies. Maybe there will be a specific phenotype associated with maternal autoantibody reactivity, but we really just don't know that yet. Again, 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 the sample size was small and this was a retrospective study, so more needs to be done. And just to reiterate, this may be a subgroup and not the only one and only cause of ASD, just like those genetic CNV groups are subgroups or subtypes. There could be subtle differences that differentiate them. This could be a subtype, just like those with CNVs are a subtype with overlapping features. What I want you to take away from this, though, is to keep an eye on the maternal autoantibody research story, and I promise I will be doing it too. I've also searched for some sort of specific biomarker in kids whose mother has this anti-brain autoantibody, and I can't find anything. But if you're a scientist in the field and have something, come at me and email me and tell me what are some of the markers in kids that may differentiate them from those without a mother with these autoantibodies. My guess is there are so many differences in kids with ASD compared to those without ASD then to subgroup those with maternal autoantibody exposure may be hard to then determine things that are specific to that maternal autoantibody exposure. It could be things like cytokines or something else. Now I'm just blathering on. The company that I mentioned that used to sell the test has, that detected these maternal autoantibodies has gone under, so there's no real way to commercially look for these anymore. But are you pregnant and concerned? Well, take a prenatal vitamin every day, go to your doctor's appointments, and try to keep your blood sugars within regular ranges. And one important lesson learned in the movie Days and Confused is eat a green thing every day. Thank you for listening this week, and I'll talk to you next Monday, the 8th.